everybody. Shavua Tov, everybody. Welcome to this week's uh, Torah portion teaching for Parshas Echev. My name is Christopher Fredrickson. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with each and every single one of you here today as we go through this week's Torah portion, Echev. Let me go and adjust the camera slightly there. Now, just so you guys know, if you have any questions or any of those things, you can actually uh, get into the split screen section of this teaching by going and clicking on the link that is within the, the description. We also go and highlight the comments that you guys put into the chat over here, right here within that of the broadcast. So you can ask a question or give a statement uh, in many different ways. And the thing about it though is after each section, we got two sections of this week's teaching. And after each section, you can go and uh, ask a question or, uh, you know, give a response and, you know, a little bit of medrash and all that stuff. Okay. So if, if you decide to call into the show by clicking the little link, the thing is you'll be sit, sitting in the waiting room for a little bit and just make sure that you're ready uh, during the time that we have those discussions and all that stuff. Okay. So, uh, so again, as you can see, the format's changing a little bit as we're, you know, still testing out this, uh, this new software from uh, Be Live, and um, I hope that the, you guys enjoy, you know, the software that we're going to be using. And um, one of the things I have not tested yet is whenever we do the slides, make sure to let us know that the slides actually, um, you guys can still hear me whenever the slides come up on the screen. Okay, that's something we haven't tested yet, so. Um, Hopefully they still end up working. Okay. So make sure to let me know uh, if, you know, during the slides, you can still hear me and all of that good stuff. All right. So we are going to go ahead and uh, first of all, go into prayer here before it is that we get started. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, Master of the Universe, who has sanctified us in the words of your Torah, Father. I ask, Father, that you help help me here today with uh, presenting this Torah portion so that it is that it helps each and every single person's neshama, their nefeshot, the ruach, all of these things that are a part of the Pesoniyud, the inner, the inner person of the individuals who are watching this teaching here today. I ask, Father, that uh, you help them to... Um, to be able to uh, uh, to move forward within that of their walk this week and all of these things. And we ask these things and we pray these things in Yeshua's holy name. Yamein. All right. So let us go ahead and get started with the very first verse um, that we are going to be covering. And this is actually a request, as a matter of fact, uh, our good buddy Otto asked for me to go and to, uh, to cover uh, this premise that is found here within that of the Tadash Ebektav in the book of Davarim or Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. I'm gonna, and I'm going to be reading this from the Orthodox Jewish Bible. And make sure to let me know as the slide is up if you guys are able to hear me okay and the sound is still coming through. It says, Circumcise, therefore, the arlat, the foreskin of your lave, which is your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Okay, so here's what it is that we have within that of the verse, and this is a premise that is uh, very prominent within that of Brit Tadashah. And we're going to be looking at some of the things that it says in terms of Brit Tadashah, in terms 
of uh, this passage here today. And as a matter of fact, one of the slides I did not put within the thing here. So um, forgive me for one of the slides that you're not going to see on screen here that deal with this particular premise. Okay. Now, it says within that of the uh, Targums of Ankelos, and I think that is the, is that the slide that we have? Yes, it, it sure is. Let me go and add this to the broadcast here. This is one of the things of having to produce your own show. You know, this is one of the things that you have to deal with. Uh, <laughs> it says the foreskin of the heart means the foolishness of the heart. Okay, so this is one of the premises that it is that we have to understand whenever it goes and it talks about the foreskin of the heart, that it deals with the foolishness of the heart. And the foolishness of the heart is one of the things that causes us to be separated from that of Hashem and that kind of deals with that of our insoniyud, which is the outer man, responding to that of the things that are not necessarily so good within that of the Pesoniyud, within that of the inner man. And so the thing about it, though, is that one of the things that we ultimately end up seeing within that of, I believe it's 1 Corinthians, if memory serves me correct, where it talks about how it is that there is a marriage between that of the soul and of that of the body. And this is one of the things that I talk about often, that whenever it is that a person has is dealing with, with um, the issues of Lashon Hara, ultimately, one of the things that gets in a person's way a great deal of the time is that um, their Lashon Hara tends to come from that of their Yetzer Hara, okay? The Yetzer Hara, what happens is the things that come from within then manifest themselves on the outside. Okay, and so there's a lot of things that uh, ties in with the second part that we're going to be discussing in terms of this. But uh, the slide that I don't have over there is for Lekute Mahoron from that of Rebbe Nachman of Breslev, uh, chapter 49, verse 1. And this is what it is that Rebbe Nachman of Breslev says in terms of this premise here. He says, the heart, like covenant, contains foreskin that must be removed. The foreskin of the heart consists of a person's evil thoughts and foolish desires. Okay, so we see how it is that a person's evil thoughts and their foolish desires are tied in together and how it is that they operate within that of communion of one another. How it is that they operate together for either good or for bad. And so these are things that it is that we have to be mindful of it with this premise of the circumcision of the heart. Now, the thing about it, though, is one of the things I always end up saying is that when we read Brit Hadashah, we are ultimately reading a Hasidic Jewish text. I find Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, to be very much Hasidic in many different ways. And so, considering that Rebbe Nachman of Breslev in his commentary, in Lekute Mahoron is one of the Shevi'im Panim HaTarah, one of the 70 faces of the Torah. And it comes from the side of Hasidic thought through that of Breslev. The thing is that we then have to go and say, we have to test this idea of Hasidic Judaism being taught within that of Brit Tadashah by seeing 
if actually this is entire premise is paralleled within that of Brit shop. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going to a get it or the book of Romans chapter two, verses 25 through 29. And again, guys, make sure to let me know if you guys are able to hear me whenever the slides come up, because I don't know if the audio still comes through or not. So just send me a comment or something like that. Um, it says for Mila circumcision is an asset if you stand in Mishma'at obedience to the Torah. But if you but a bit but if you're uh Mifir violator of the Torah, your Mila circumcision has become Orla, uncircumcision. But if Ben Avraham, sons of men, without Mila circumcision, who is Shomer fulfilling the just requirements of the Torah, will not his orla uncircumcision be counted as milah? And the natural uncircumcised ben Adam, who is mishma'at to the Torah, will arise as the judgment is upon you. The very one who thought that chumrah, stringency, strictness, adherence to the letter of the law, and circumcision i.e. uncircumcision, are the transgressors of the Torah. For the true Yehudi, the true Jew, is not the one perceived as such, nor true Milah, which is performed visibly in the flesh. The true Yehudi is so in Hashem's hidden way. The true Milah is of the lave, is of the heart. In the renewal of Ruach HaKodesh, not in Chumrah, um, uh, boasting of Zohe, merit in the Maxir, um, uh, uh, meritous strictness, letter, he must, uh, Yehode, praise, Yehuda, Yada, praise, that comes out of B'nai Adam from Hashem, okay? So we see the very same premise that we end up finding here within the words of Egeret Romanim, the book of Romans, from that of Rebbe Nachman of Breslev in, in terms of what it is that he says. Now let's look at other passages in terms of Brit Tadashah, in terms of this, that we don't have slides for. You know, I always often end up citing when it comes to rabbinic ruling, I always cite Matthew chapter 23, verses one through three, okay? Because there, it's, we see that Yeshua is saying to do as it is that the Pharisees say. Now, however, the issue that we also have at the same time is that his statements seem rather contradictory at various points within that of Brit Hadashah and within, with it, most notably within that of, Bes, of the Besorah. And so these are things that it is that we have to look at and to deal with as well. Okay, is these instances. And within these instances, we could bring up Matthew chapter 23. Now, one of the things that we have to realize here is that within Matthew chapter 23, he says that they have the rulings of that of Hashem because they sit upon that of the Kisah, of that of the seat of Moshe Rabbeinu which is a, um, a position within that of the Sanhedrin. Some people try and say it was an actual chair and this founded jury. That's ridiculousness. It was a position that was on, uh, on, on the Sanhedrin that passed on rabbinic order. 
Okay. And so, you know, so, so, but the, the, but the issue is he says, don't be like them. And he gets into these things of hypocrisy. Now, the thing with uncircumcision and the inner incircumcision is that we had this issue within Acts chapter 15, where we have some of the people who followed Shammai, who wanted everybody to go and become circumcised as soon as it is that they came in to that of the, uh, of the belief of that of Yeshua. You know, they said that they needed to just go ahead and just to go and totally convert to Judaism at that time and to go ahead and get circumcised. Now, the thing about it, though, is that we see Paul going to saying that we need to take the route of B'nai Avraham. Now, B'nai Avraham did, uh, Avraham rather, he did not go and get circumcised until he was 99 years old. 99 years old till it was that Avraham got circumcised. So the thing we have to realize with that is that there are levels of of um of observance you know this is why it is that whenever it is that if say a person wants to convert to judaism they've been a part of the shul for quite some time they say well you need to start as a b'nai noach okay and these also align with the laws of ger toshav okay a person who had dwelled within that of the jewish people when the wall when the walls of jerusalem were open uh for on the 50th year every 50 years and people who are outside the covenant could come in and kind of test the waters and they're bound to seven mitzvahs and Ger Toshav, you know, considering that they were among the community in the midst of the community, they could be bound to a little bit more. And this is after they are Ivrit. When a person is Ivrit or a Hebrew, they go and they break through a spiritual barrier. And so then they become Ger Toshav. And then they ultimately make the decision after that year, do I want to, take on full observance. And so while they're in training of, of doing this, they then become Ger Sadikim, a righteous Gentile. And so then they become Yahudi and Bali Hatara, Bali HaKabbalah, and so on and so forth down the line. But the thing is that we have to realize with this is that first of all, all of the fulfillment of mitzvahs are within that of the lave. And within that of the lave deals with that of the circumcision of the heart because lave means heart. And this is, it is of no coincidence that the Torah starts with the letter Beit and ends with the letter Yilamid in the term Bereshit and Israel. And if we put those two words together, we could also come up with something else saying, you know, uh, that, that it says in the beginning Israel, you know, that saying that, you know, that this was the reason for the Torah being given was for Israel. And so the thing is that what we have to realize is that even within that of Torah Shebektav, Considering that the Beit is the first letter and the Lev is the last letter, when we put those two together, we see what the surrounding method of all of the fulfillment of mitzvot is, is to fulfill it within the Lev. And then we could take that to an even deeper level and say, not only the Lev, but the Nefesh, the Neshama, Ruach, Peson Yud, and then it goes into that of the Basar, the Guf, and the insoniyud, the all the things that deal with the flesh and the outer man and so on and so forth. And so, therefore, that it is that a person has to encapsulate the mitzvahs, connect with Hashem within that of their lave, within that of their heart, before it is that they start fulfilling certain mitzvahs. One of the issues that the Hebrew Roots Movement tends to have with me 
is that I am not a one Torah theologian. I don't try and push Christians to go and start doing the things that I do under my Hasidic halacha. Why is that? Because of the fact that they may not necessarily connect with Hashem the same way in which it is that I do, and I don't expect a person who's in second grade to be doing advanced mathematics. For if you go and you have a person go and fulfill a mitzvah that may be very foreign to them, that makes no sense to them at that moment, such as maybe a man and the mitzvahs of tefillin. Tefillin is also mentioned within this Torah portion. Say it is that a person who doesn't know anything about tefillin, doesn't know anything about the connection with Hashem through the mitzvahs of tefillin, you say, go and don tefillin. And he goes and puts this on. He's like, what's this wacky thing I'm doing? You know, I, I used to go and teach, you know, a lot to uh, on Tuesday nights. We used to have a Torah study for Christians, as a matter of fact, that would go and attend, you know, in this area and so on and so forth. And they would learn about the Torah and all these things and the shadows of the Messiah through that, the Torah. And there were several times where they would say, you know, you do this and you do that, you know, and I just find that to be kind of weird. And I'm saying, yeah, I understand, you know, from the outside looking in, it definitely does seem weird. But then, you know, there were, there were some that were sitting up there saying, you know what, I want to start doing the mitzvahs of, um, I want to start doing Shabbos. I want to start doing this. I want to start doing that. And so the thing about them is I would work with them and train with, with them in terms of that particular mitzvah and how to go about fulfilling that particular mitzvah. And that is very, and that's very important. That's very important to actually kind of go and take that time and to help them through it and do it step by step and saying, you know, you, they may not get to, you know, the level of where it is that, you know, um, where I'm doing these these particular things. But however, at the same time, um, you see how it is that they are now able to be able to go and connect with these particular mitzvahs um, in a way that it was that they were not able to before. Okay. So, you know, that's, that's you know, something that, that's, that's very important to understand. Something is very important to understand. Everything has to be fulfilled in the heart first before it is that it can be fulfilled within that of the physical world. And that's something that, that I think that we need to really start to hammer home much better than it is that we have in the past. Okay, so, so far, do we have any questions on that section of the circumcision of the heart? And if Otto's watching, Otto, I hope and I pray that that answered your question. Um, I'll go and take some time here for questions before it is that we get into the next item on the agenda for this Torah portion. I'll get a sip of my drink here. Or if anybody wants to refute anything as well, doesn't seem we have anybody that uh, wants to be brought in uh, to ask a question on air at the moment. So. Um, yeah, uh, we have that option as well for anybody who does. We have the little link there to where it is that you can go. And I, th I think with um, Be Live, you can register and sign in and all that stuff with um, your Facebook account, I believe. Um, I believe that's all they, that is you have to do is just connect that one time and you're good. Um, so uh doesn't seem that we have any questions. Seems that everybody's happy. Uh, so we're going to go on to the next item on the agenda and, and feel free to put in your questions beforehand 
and we'll go and cover them at the end of this particular thing as well. Uh, we might have something from Mike here. And let's see if I can read all of what Mike says. At what point in the walk do you feel a Christian coming into Torah should look into Talmudic writing? Oh, that's a very good question. That is a very good question, Mike. And it's a little bit off subject, but uh, we'll go and cover it here really quick just to see if anybody else has any questions that are on, on topic at the moment. Okay. And so the thing is that with that is we have a lot of people I have seen that uh, want to start studying Tadashi Bialpe, start studying Aral Tara, start wanting to study Talmud, including that of the Mishnah section, the Gemara, the, and, the, uh, and the Tanya. The thing that I would say is that um, one of the best Bibles a person can get who is young in their walk and just starting to start out is uh, this particular one right here, which is the Complete Jewish Study Bible. And there's a reason why I say the study Bible and not the uh, just the regular one, because one of the things that you're going to find within here is that a lot of the commentary in here are Talmudic commentaries. And sometimes you see things from Rashi and the Rambam and so on and so forth, and it doesn't overload people. OK, uh, the, the thing the, the thing is, things like the Gutnik Chomish or the Stone Edition Tanakh can be so filled with it. That you know, it's very overwhelming for somebody who's starting out. And so, one of the things I would say is get yourself the complete Jewish study Bible, start with that, and um, that will give you basically a um, that will give you an appreciation for Talmud and for Torah Shebiape. Um, for a person to just go and jump into it is can be very damaging. Because there's a certain way in which Torah Shebi needs to be read. We need to understand what the difference is between Mishnah, Gemara, Tanya, all of these things. Sometimes people go inside Gemara or ta Tanya and say, well, that is the ruling, you know, and all that stuff. And the ruling is based upon this story. No, the, the ruling is actually the Mishnah section as well as Shulchan Aruch. That's actually where those things are um, where those rulings come from. So therefore, the thing about it though is that I would say that maybe about between three to five years in a person's walk would be a good time if they have a, uh, a rabbi or a teacher who is you know, certified to teach these things, you know, not just some internet teacher. You know, they actually have to have you know, certificates like this you know, and all that stuff, Moray certification, um, in order to be able to make sure that it's being taught to them correctly so that they can learn how to go and read and study Talmud and Midrashim and so on and so forth. As a matter of fact, tomorrow, uh, Matthew Bartlett and I have our program tomorrow, and we are going to be going through uh, Baba, uh, uh, Baba Metzia 59b, with uh, the uh, story of the rabbi saying that uh, that the uh, halakha is not in heaven, you know, and so we're going to be talking a lot about that tomorrow. So you're going to want to stick around for that tomorrow. Um, so yeah, I would say you know three to five years within that of a person's walk would be uh, a good space of time in order for them to um, to start looking into those things. Okay, um, let's see here. Eric says. Prophet rabbinic tutorship 
sitting at a rabbi's feet. Absolutely. Um, Mike has another comment here. He says, I apologize. I should have said the rabbinic ways of following Torah in place in place of Talmudic writings. Well, you know, the, the thing about this is that Talmud and the rabbinic ways are actually the biblical ways. You know, that's that's something that, you know, really, you know, when I say that people go a little bit goofy. But the thing is that we ultimately understand that through the Torah portions, Mishpat team and Shelf team, that the uh, that the rulings of the Shelf team have precedent, and God says to listen and do as they say, or the penalty of death. So, if a person's going to start fulfilling a mitzvah, the thing that they ought to do is learn how to do it in halacha. They have to, you know, because basically, you know, and nowadays when we have a 21st century worldview and mindset, hashkafa, you know, we tend to, uh, in many ways, just um, kind of go and do it our own way, you know, and make it up as we go along. And the thing about that is we want to connect with Yeshua. We want to connect with those times and the things and the way that it is that those things were done at that time. So, you know, that's one of the things that um, that, that we should do. We should do it properly and, and do it uh, responsibly. Okay, so if you're going to fulfill a mitzvah, then look up the halacha. Um, if not through that Talmud, then I would really suggest get a set of Shulchan Aruch, because Shulchan Aruch really goes and simplifies it, as does Rashi for that matter. Rashi does the same thing. Uh, but let us go ahead and continue on, on into our second section here. And uh, let's see here. Make sure I got the right slide up here. Yep, sure do. And what we have in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 6, I'm reading this from the Goldnik Chomish. It says, And what he did to Dasan and Avrim, sons of Elav, Reuvim, sons, at the, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up them, their households, their tents, their possessions, and kept them on their feet in the presence of all of Israel. Now, I'm going to be discussing this in a way in which it is that you guys aren't familiar with this actually being discussed. And uh, this is actually, you know, some of the reasons why it is that it, we had the earth go and swallow them up, which, you know, actually this passage kind of goes and destroys the arguments of the flat earth people, doesn't it? But <laughs> a little bit of a joke there. Um, but there's a reason for this. And it all deals with this idea of Malkut. We're going to be getting into this whole thing of Malkut. You can be seeing this passage in a way to where it is that you may not have ever seen it before. Okay, and, and so this is really exciting. Now, first of all, what we're going to first do is we are going to go to the Talmud. Okay, we're going to go to Pesachim 119a and Sanhedrin 110a, where it says all the possessions that were at their feet. This is man's money which stands him on his feet, okay? And so basically, so, so what, their money was slaughtered, was swallowed up? Is that what you're saying, Rabbi? Is that, is, is that the cut of your jib? No, that, no, that's actually not what I'm saying. But what I am saying, however, is that in terms of this particular passage here, there, this deals with the attribute of mahut, Notice that it says that they they that it says within the Bible to not let money be the root of all evil. The love for money, do not let that be the root of all evil. 
you know, and to you can either serve God or serve that particular love for money. And so these are this this is something that it is that we have to understand. And what are the things that deals greatly with our finances? Well, we're going to get into that. There's one thing that happens in your life that deals the most with your finances. Okay, but let us go to the next slide here. And uh, what we have here is Rebbe Nachman of Breslev again from Lekote Mahoron. And it says, the strength to remain standing comes from emet, from truth, as it is written. Truth stands, i.e. it endures. With truth, or a person, a person retains his possessions. Okay? Now, the thing about it, though, is that when we have this idea of truth that deals with, with this, this kind of goes back to the idea of the, of the uh, circumcised heart. You know, the truth that a person has within them is reliant upon what they ultimately end up believing and understanding in the ways of the inner man within that of the neshama, ruach, and so on and so forth. That is ultimately where this truth comes out and to where it is that the uh, that you know truth must must come from in order for them to um to be able to practice the things that it is that they say and the things that it is that they uh proclaim and so on you know this is this is vastly important and so you know with this what happens is that we have um a little bit more that deals with this. And remember I said to go and think about what your ultimate financial thing is in terms of your life that is bigger than anything else. Okay. You remember, I remember I asked that, what is that one thing? Well, we're getting ready now to go in to look at that one particular thing. Let me go and pull this slide into the broadcast here. And what is it doing here? It's trying to get me to do something else. I don't want to do that. Uh, da, 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 da. Is that the right one? No, that's not it. I think I got to pull it in again. Yeah, I think I lost it. Okay, so give me just a second here to go and to pull in this next slide here. I have a limited amount of spaces here, so I have to Go and pull these in one by one. That's that's the one drawback when you have 11 slides for a teaching, okay? <laughs> so just bear with me here. All right. And let's see here. I think we got that one in here. Yep, yep, we do. Actually, I added it twice and didn't really even realize it. All right. So we see in Lekote Mahoron from Rebbe Nachman of Breslev, it says a man's livelihood comes to him mainly because of his wife she corresponds to mahut which is associated with the feet as we see from that of the zohar and this verse tells us that a man stands on his feet i.e his wife therefore our sages advised honor your wives so that you may become wealthy. And that's from Bava Metzia 59a, which is attached right to Bava Metzia 59b, which Matthew and I 
will be uh, discussing tomorrow. And why do I have this weird box here with me here? I, I don't understand why I have this weird box. Maybe I got to drop these things back down. Yeah, there we go. There we go. It just looked weird to me. But see, this is something that, uh, first of all, that we have to understand. I've been doing this series, as you guys know, on the Garden of Peace for the past 10 weeks. And we got a couple of more weeks to go in. And I think we have 16 chapters of this book, if memory serves me correct. And we're doing a chapter of a week. Actually, we got, uh, four, uh, we got four more episodes left in terms of this one. Four more episodes. Okay, four more weeks. And you can actually go and get this broadcast and all this stuff in when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, um, uh, the iTunes. You can go and subscribe on iTunes and go and get all of those archives absolutely free in terms of that series. But this is something that I talk about often in terms of this premise is that, first of all, that a man's. Tukhon, his soul correction, his inner repair, are things that come to him through that of his wife. We have to understand that when we take the Hebrew words av for father and em for mother, that essentially we go and we take the um oh the the, the whatchamacallit, we end up going and taking the gematria value, and we add them together, we get the same gematria value for the word Adom, as in Adom Harishon, or man. Thus, the feminine attributes and the masculine attributes come together to make up the same gematria for that of man. That's why it is that we see that Hashem says, let us make man in our image, which deals with this idea of malchut that we ended up seeing in the slide, deals within the feet part of that of the sephirot. There are different charts in terms of the sephirot. One is like that of kind of like this weird diamond-shaped kind of thing. The other one deals with the attributes of a man, and it has, you know, you can, we talked about that in terms of Zeran Pin before within the Torah portion teachings and how Zeran Pin deals with that of Mashiach and how that relates to Chronicles chapter 2 and all of these things and also the crucifixion. We've discussed this idea and this premise within that of the past. And so the thing about it, the thing we have to understand is that there are three pillars in that of the Sephirot. We have a masculine pillar and a feminine pillar, and then we have the intermediary pillar that bind the two together. This is why it is that we, when we recite Shema, Shema Israel, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Achad, that we mention God three times because it deals with each of the three pillars of the Sephirot. Now, the thing about it, though, is that we have the masculine and the feminine. Now, within that of, of Hebrew grammar, we have, you know, God the Father, of course, masculine. Then we have Ruach HaKodesh, which is grammatically feminine. This is why it is in uh, Ephesians. It says, she, Ruach HaKodesh, brings comfort. Okay, so we have the feminine attribute of God there. Then we have the son of Hashem, is that middle pillar that binds those two other attributes of God together. And so this is why it says what it means, you know, let us make man in our image. Also, 
This is why it is that the Hebrew word for man is ish. Now, you could, when you say the word ish, context is important. Why? Because ish can be spelled one way with an ayin, a yo, or not an ayin, but an, an aleph, a yod, and a, uh, and a sheen. Now, the thing about it, though, is that if we had, don't have that yod there, it is still pronounced ish, okay? And which can mean fire as opposed to man. Then we have the word isha. The word isha is spelled um, aleph, shin, hey. Okay? And so the thing about it though is that we see that both contain the word ish for fire. Okay? The things that make them different is within the man we have the yod, which symbolizes his humility towards that to his wife. And then we have within the wife, we have the hay, which represents her honor and her vitality. These are the things that, that it represents, her honor and her vitality. And so the thing about it, though, is that if the man is not doing his job by providing his humility and his love for that of his wife, then her hay her uh that attribute of her is not being fulfilled okay and so therefore what happens is those both of those letters are then removed and marital strife happens in the form of a fire okay and so the thing that we have to understand with this is that the yod and the hay that are within the words ish and the words isha is one of the 72 different names for that of God. It's the two-letter name for that of God that is found two places within that of the Tanakh. Okay, it's found, one of the most notable is in the, uh, in the uh, book of Yeshiyahu, the book of Isaiah. We end up finding that name right there. Now, let us go to our next slide here in terms of this. Okay, it says a person's possessions correspond to Mahut, which is associated with feet, as we read earlier in the Zohar. And the heavenly judgments, to mitigate these judgments, one must give pedon nefesh, literally soul redemption, i.e. charity to that of a Sadik. Now, the thing about it, though, is that who is this particular Sadik it's speaking about? Is this somebody like maybe Menachem Mendel Schneerson? Is it something like, uh, well, you know, maybe it is your rabbi or your pastor or something of that sort? Is it somebody like maybe Rabbi Shalom Marush? Is it like one of the ones that have passed on, you know, giving weird little gifts to them, you know, like Rabbi Nachman of Breslov or the Baal Shem Tov or somebody like that? Is that who it's talking about? No, actually, the Sadik that it's talking about here on Lekotei Mahoron is that of your wife. She's the hidden Zodic. She's the hidden Zodic within that of the home. She always has been, always will be. doesn't matter if it is that she disagrees with you halakhically, if she disagrees with you in terms of faith and so on and so forth. And I see a lot of people that go through this. The thing about it, though, is that she ultimately is 
still retaining the attributes of Sadiqam within that of the home. And so this charity and the things that is, that is talking about here that goes and redeems the soul, Pidyon Nefesh, deals with the attributes of Shalom Ba'is because the Malchut is the wife within that of the home. That is the Malchut. So that's a very important premise to understand that not many people um, really uh, really understand or get it, but it's something that's taught deeply within that of Judaism. Now I'm going to go and fetch the next slide here. I'm telling you, this is hard to do live. It's hard to do live slides. <laughs> I, need to, I need to go and hire myself a producer is what I need to do. Goes and... Uh, goes and does these things for me. <laughs> and for all those who uh, are telling me hello and shalom, such as uh, Jeffrey there, I'm going to, yeah, shalom to all of you guys and all that stuff. Sorry, I haven't broke uh, the teaching to say shalom and to, um, to really acknowledge a lot of those. Now, again, if you guys have any questions during the broadcast, make sure to go and put them in and we'll get them in as soon as we get done here, which should be uh, within the next 10 minutes. More generally, a person faces monetary challenges through his life in order to succeed despite difficult times. He should give to charity and to worthy causes. Okay, so this is another point within that of Lekote Mahoron that does deal with the outside Zedekah. Okay, the thing about it though is that we have to ask ourselves why is it that a person will go through money problems because of the fact that first of all god is wanting you to be more diligent with your finances have you ever gone into the grocery store and i know i've used this uh this story rather rather often and or you're going to the store and you or you're just going through your wallet and it's like man i, I thought i had an extra 20 dollars in there and you don't know where it went can't find it anywhere and then you react in a certain way and you say, you know what? Maybe one of the kids took it or my wife took it or just somebody took it. Some, somebody's to blame here. The way that it is that the Kabbalist mind should operate is to say that God is trying to show me something here. He's trying to go and uh, to perform pidyot nefesh within me in terms of a certain attribute in my life. So a person then should be sitting there saying, I need to be better and more diligent with that of my finances. But let's say that it is that they don't get that. Say that it is that they don't get it. They still are just on the hunt for somebody, for somebody else to blame. They look outside, relating to that again, we were talking about of the outer circumcision, okay? As opposed to the inner, they're looking outside as opposed to the inside. And so what happens is they then start to go and blame people, and then God goes and ups the ante. He then goes and says, okay, I'm going to give this guy um, less hours at his job. I'm trying, I'm trying to show him he needs to be more diligent with his finance, so I'm going to hit him a little bit harder here. So ultimately, that's what ends up happening. The guy goes and loses a day or two and all that stuff, and then 
he can either go and say, Hashem's trying to show me something here, trying to show me that I need to be more diligent with my finances, or he could sit there and go and start blaming yet again. Okay. And so the thing is that uh, how should a person go and operate in this manner? Well, first of all, he should be looking inside of himself and saying, Hashem's trying to change something within me. But then say that it is that they still don't get the uh, they still don't get the message and they get fired from their job. They no longer have a job. Their job is gone. It's done. Hashem's trying to show them, dude, you need to be more diligent with your finances. I've, I tried to tell you now I'm not going to give you any. So that it is that you can understand what I mean and to think about what I mean and actually have to practice, be forced to practice being more diligent with your finances. So every single time Hashem goes and ups the ante. Every single time. And so with this, one of the things that we are going to find that deal with the other attribute that it is that we talked about of how it deals with that of how a person must treat and honor their wife. The thing about it, though, is that a wife who is not necessarily um, in a very good mood is going to, first of all, spend more money. She is going to try and fill the things within that of her life that she is not getting from the shalom that she is supposed to get from that of her husband. So she goes all out and spends more money. She's probably going to go shopping more often. She's going to take more vacations and basically drain that bank account. You know, when that bank account starts to get drained, what ultimately ends up happening is there are fights within that of the marriage in terms of finances. And so these things constantly escalate and are tied together. Now, the thing about it, though, is that, you know, Christopher, you say here, you know, that we're told and taught within that of Judaism to go and to honor the wife and to be a servant unto the wife and all these things. And this is so much different than what it is that I am taught within that of Christianity and the Hebrew Roots movement, where we're basically supposed to be like Jackie Gleason, you know, us men, where it is, I'm king of the castle, lord of the manor. I'm going to show you why it is that marriages within that of the Hebrew roots movement and in Christianity fail. It's because of the fact that they come across this particular verse right here. And within this verse right here, they don't understand the proper context of it. When we read Paul, we got to read Paul in the way of application. And he says here in first Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 through 35, reading from the complete Jewish Bible. Let the wives remain silent when, in, when the congregation meets. They are certainly not permitted to speak out. Rather, let them remain subordinate, as the Torah says, and if there is something they want to know, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak out in a congregational meeting. Now, that seems to be rather anti-woman, doesn't it? Seems to be rather uh, anti-wife, if you will. And many people can go and uh, make that case and say, that's, you know, what Paul's doing. He's being very anti-woman here. He's be kind of being a meanie to them here. But with Paul, we got to read Paul in terms of application. Why is it that Paul says this? The application of this is so much different from going and just sitting there and reading it. Because if we do... If women go and do as it says here, what is going to happen? She's going to go home. She's going to go and ask her husband. And if her husband loves her, 
what he's going to do is he's going to go and take out all of his study materials. He's going to grab his Bibles. He's going to grab his Talmud. He's going to grab his Midrashim. He's going to go and grab, grab this Tosefta. He's going to grab the Zohar. He's going to read, you know, uh, all the books that he, it is that he has <laughs> in order to give his wife the best answer possible. And the thing about it, though, is that he is going to make sure that he gets the right answer because he knows if he doesn't, he could be in trouble. So he's going to do his due diligence in his servitude towards her in order to do that. So he goes and then goes and says, okay, honey, this is what I've been looking at. This is, you know, how it is that I perceive this particular mitzvah here or this particular passage. And, you know, and, and he goes and shows her all the things and they ultimately end up getting into a bit of a study together. And then she asks more questions, causes him to go and study a little bit more because women's minds think differently than us men. You know, she's, she's going to say, well, then how does that relate to this? You know, because us men, we're very analytical. Women think on a higher mandrega, okay? They, they, they want to know everything from the inside out on it. And so the thing is, they're going to ask these things on a higher mandrega. And ultimately, what's going to happen is they are going to um, go and ask all the questions that deal with everything surrounding it and try and tie it all together. So thus, therefore, she is being blessed by that of being in communion with her husband. And her husband is being blessed because of the fact that, first of all, she is providing him in many ways, more than he realized with Pedon Nefesh, and with his own personal tikkun that it is that he needs. And she is causing him to be diligent in his study. And so therefore, the thing that we that we ultimately end up realizing is that is that you know her light starts to shine even more through this process because of the fact that she is growing together with her husband. This is what Paul is talking about here. Because when he goes and gives things such as this, there are things that deal with the ins and outs of the application, that deal with the things that it is that you experience, which is a very, very, very big Hasidic concept. Now, do we have any questions here before it is that we go ahead and wrap up? Go ahead and get your questions in now. Go ahead and get them in quick um, so it is that we are able to answer them before it is that we log off the broadcast here. And while you guys are getting in your questions, the thing I'm going to do here is uh, go and tell all of you, make sure to go and check out uh, HebrewAndAramaic.com. I'm one of the Hebrew teachers over there at the Hebrew and Aramaic Learning Institute. And as a matter of fact, Jeffrey, who's watching the, uh, um, the broadcast right now, and I'll go and pull up his last comment here where he says, hello, so you guys can all get to know Jeffrey. Jeffrey's a really good guy. He's actually one of the students over there. As a matter of fact, and I think we got other students that are within the chat as well. I'm not sure. I think Mike is. I'm not 100% sure. I know Willard is. Willard's a part of that. Uh, Christopher Dorton, he as well, is a part, is one of the students over there. And um, yeah, so, you know, the thing about that is go ahead and check that out and let's go and see if we have any other questions here. 
doesn't appear that way. Well, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to also go and check us out on iTunes, on YouTube, on Vimeo. Um, and we also have not only just the audio broadcast of this that will be up on um, the podcast version tomorrow, but we'll also have the video version as well in which it is that you can download and subscribe to absolutely free. Any of these teachings that it is that we do, we don't go and sell them. We put them on the, the website for free, which is lapidjudaism.com. And I think I got like 2,000 that I've done right over there on the website that are all absolutely free. So you can go through the archives there. I think iTunes does in terms of the videos, the most recent 50. And then in terms of the audios, the most recent 100. So if you want to go further back than that, you can go to lapidjudaism.com and go and check all those out there. All right. Well, guys, I want to wish each and every single one of you shalom bracha, peace and a blessing. And thank each and every single one of you for joining us here today in the broadcast. All right. So I'm going to wish each and every single one of you Shavuot Tov. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewandAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step by step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.